reading this morning from Genesis 3, 8 through 10. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Luke 6, 6 through 11. On another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew their thoughts. He said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is, is this a day to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them one by one and then said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, come here with fear and trembling this morning. Uh, worship destination, being open and vulnerable, right? Courtney talked about, we're in family, we're among family, right? I haven't told this story in years, it was the most humiliating, but we are family, right? What I am about to tell you is true. I have witnesses, in fact, I have hundreds of them, unfortunately. It's my freshman year, Kara, at Sanford University. It was October. I didn't know anybody when I came to Sanford, so I hadn't been there very long, and I was still trying to get get my rhythm going and, and, and get to know people and all that, and I had my first crush on a girl named Melissa Woods from Albertville, Alabama, and I finally mustered up the courage after a few weeks to ask her out on a date, and it was on a Monday night. It just kind of worked out that way, so I had a date that night with her. Well, we used to have chapel on Mondays at Sanford, and uh, sure enough, it, it was a cold, wet, rainy, sniffly, un, unusually cold October morning, and I remember going to 8 o'clock class and I remember feeling not great, but feeling okay, and I was kind of willing myself to feel better because I had a date that night, and I thought, okay, I got to really, you know, man up here, and so I went to my eight o'clock class, uh, went back, and I was going to head back to my dorm and just, just crash for a little while and, and get some rest, but as I was going back across the quad to my dorm, uh, Steve Thompson stopped me, and, and, and he said, you've got to go to chapel today, you've got to go to chapel, Paul Duke is preaching he just graduated from here a few years ago, and he's this incredible preacher. you got to go hear him, Jim. And I said, ah, I might. I don't know. He's like, you got to be there. I'll see you there. So I caved into the peer pressure of an upperclassman, and I went back to my dorm room and rested for just a little while. And then I got back up and made my way back across the quad. I, again, it was cold, wet, rainy, sniffly, kind of shivery weather. Had an umbrella with me, thank goodness. But, but again... I got into the chapel, and I noticed the, the climate change. It was hot and muggy in there because of all the bodies that were just packed in there. There was no place to sit down in, in the bottom part of Reed Chapel. I went up to the balcony. It was just packed. So what did I, you know, I went back down and decided I would stand in the back of the chapel behind a pew here over to the right a little bit. And, and, and 
Things got started. It was great. The acapella choir sang this booming song. It was great. Dr. Edwards, the chaplain at the time, got up and offered a wonderful prayer. I remember a guy named Chipper Jane who had this incredible baritone voice did this, uh, what was it? It was based on Leonard Bernstein's The Mass, uh, you know, sing a joyful song, and he just belted it out. It was about the time that he started belting it out, and I remember later that I was doing this, but I was kind of standing there with my umbrella on the ground, and I kind of just started to do this right here. Looked like one of those things you get at a novelty store that kind of balances itself, you know what I mean? I just started doing this. And I, was, I wasn't fully there. I'll just, I'll just put it because people started looking at me like, what's going on? But I just, you know, I just kind of stood there thinking things were all right, and that maybe we were on a boat just kind of going somewhere. And then Paul Duke gets up there to preach. And Paul is a phenomenal preacher. He's really good at introductions. And he got up there and he started talking about surprises. He said, you know, everyone loves surprises. Surprise, here's some flowers for you. Surprise, here's some candy for you. No special reason. Surprise! And he started to imitate Steve Martin, who back then was coming along as a stand-up comedian. And he would do this thing called, for me! Didn't y'all remember that? Some of y'all older people, for me! Whenever they'd applaud him, that's what he'd say. And so he was doing that for me. And everybody, oh, that's great. He's so funny. He's imitating a comedian. They're going on. And then Paul Duke, with all the laughter, he leaned into the mic. You know, preachers love to have a good zinger, right? To kind of, ooh, I wasn't thinking about that. He leaned in and said, surprise, you're going to die. You know, that's one of those, ooh, wow. You know, wasn't thinking about that. You know, that's a zinger that the preacher will use. Unfortunately for Paul, As soon as he said that, surprise, you're going to die. From the back of Reed Chapel, you heard this big kaboom. (laughs) What has happened is, I have blacked out. I think that's funny. I have blacked out, fallen forward, hit my face on the back pew, bit, bit through my bottom lip, I'll show you the scar later, bit into the pew. Uh, for years, I would bring the family back. Oh, there's the four tooth marks right there. True. I was wanted to put a bronze plaque. Barnett caved his face in right here. The impact was so severe, <laughs> so I bounced back up and kind of landed on my back. So it was kind of a boom, kapow. Thank you. I feel the love, by the way. Now, how do you think Paul Duke is doing up front? <laughs> you know, surprise, you're going to die. Boom, he's just... They told me later he became unglued. He didn't know what to do. Where do I go? He started flipping through scripture. Give me something, you know. He didn't know what to do. People down there, I heard later, were kind of like, hey, he's pretty good, you know. (laughs) So good preacher that he he, he is, though, he kind of gained people back. He's a marvelous, marvelous, eloquent speaker. And so he kind of started to pull people back, and people weren't craning their necks, and kind of started to get back into it again. He was preaching... Uh, on the passage in Genesis where Jacob wrestles with the man, who really is God. You know that story where he wrestles with, he wants to get God's blessing no matter what. Well, in the meantime, he's preaching. I'm back there in this <laughs> fuzzy brown haze looking up like, and not knowing what's going on. I can't even speak. Dear Dr. Bill Cooley, uh, who was longtime professor of religion at Sanford, decided to take control of the situation. He comes back, gets down on one knee, places my head on his knee, I heard later, 
And he said to somebody, go get something to wipe the blood away. He's, he's, he's bleeding profusely. And somebody said, oh, I have a handkerchief. And this person went running around. Reed Chapel doesn't have a water fountain. And so this person I heard later kicked open the door and just let the rain kind of do this. <laughs> as I bled, you know. Finally came back in and they wiped the blood away. Now, long story short, you know, he wipes the blood away. And, and the first words I hear in my delirium are from Dr. Bill Cooley. And he says something, I remember hearing a gasp, first of all, and he kind of was taken aback and said, oh, we've got to get him to the hospital right away. His mouth is really bashed up. It's the first thing I remember. At that moment, having heard that, I said out loud in Reed Chapel, no, I got a date tonight. <laughs> and the timing was beautiful. Paul Duke, I promise this is true, hundreds of witnesses, I, you know, he's up there getting into the narrative, building up the conflict of, of Jacob wrestling with the man, wrestling with God himself. He wants to be blessed, and he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. That's when I said it. So it was like from the front, I won't let you go until you bless me. And then he heard somebody say, no, I got a date tonight. <laughs> okay, I'm needing a group hug. Come on, can somebody come up here? No, 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 okay. Uh, I have never experienced, by the way, we, I canceled the date that night. It just wasn't where, she was in there. She was second row. She called me about an hour later. I said, maybe we should wait. I mean, that's, my lip was in bad shape. Um, that's the worst time I've ever had where I was on public display and so humiliated, so embarrassed. And yet it turned out for the good, actually. You know, for one thing, I got a lot of traction with that story when I was a centrifuge camp pastor. Whenever I would go do youth revivals when I was a youthy preacher i mean that was my opening salvo right there and it would always win oh good he he can be an idiot just like me that's great and then later on uh, ironically enough i became minister to the university at stanford and so for 11 years i would sit up there you know listening to someone speak or speaking myself and looking back there and saying yep that's that's where it happened so it's interesting that good came out of it the man with the shriveled hand must have wondered what good could come out of this event based on what Jesus commanded him to do. Now, let's, let's look at the background of the story. It's at the synagogue. Here's a man with a shriveled hand, and Dr. Luke, the physician, in his gospel record, is careful to point out to us that it's his right hand. Very, very important. Why? The right hand is what people used to work with. And, and, and tradition says, the tradition of the church says that he was a stonemason. Well, he has lost his livelihood. He's lost his vocation. He's obviously begging now because he cannot work. Keep in mind, however, not just that he, you know, he had the right hand and he couldn't work. This is the hand that was used for gestures back in the first century Holy Land. Gestures. It was used for uh, uh, you know, greeting people and doing your work. The left hand was what was used for hygienic purposes and was considered unclean. And you did not use this. You did not greet people in public ever with your left hand. You did not gesture with your left hand. It was the unclean hand. But it was the one hand this man had. So in order to beg, in order to do anything, in order to gesture, he had to use that hand that added to the shame and humiliation and embarrassment. No doubt in my mind, this man walked around a lot like this. Having his hand cowering in here, hiding that, because he was ashamed enough that he had to use this hand, but this one is shriveled up. And here he is at the synagogue. Notice that he is unnamed, he is anonymous, and he's probably wanting it to be that way. 
great that he's at the synagogue, but no doubt he is someone who wants to be in the background. Does not want to be noticed, does not want to be singled out in any way, wants to hide. (laughs) And yet, what does Jesus do? What does Jesus tell him to do in order to be healed? Remember, what does he say? He says, stand up in front of everyone. Oh, my goodness. Put yourself on display, (laughs) so to speak. And the man who no doubt was yearning for healing, stood up. Not only did Jesus have him become vulnerable by standing up in front of everybody, what does he say? What does he command the man to do? Stretch out your hand. And the man does so, and he is healed. The healing came as he placed himself in that position of vulnerability. It's real interesting that the religious leaders in this story don't care one whit about the fact that he was even healed. They're not even thinking about how they might be spiritually shriveled, atrophied, impaired, disabled, anything like that. They're just worried about, hey, you know, should you heal on the Sabbath? All into their legalistic concerns. And yet this one whom Jesus commands, step out in front of everyone and stretch out your hand. And he does. And it's a healing experience. You know, we might want to judge those religious leaders saying, aren't you more concerned about other things? But let me ask you this. In what place in your soul are you withered, atrophied, impaired, disabled, due to whatever, some terrible disappointment, some some shame that you carry around that maybe no one else knows about, something you did that you so regret now? Yes, some sin, some failure, some betrayal, whatever it might be. Is that something that you could at some point at least put on display maybe to one other brother or sister in Christ? Maybe not an entire church, but but at least offer that in a way that can bring healing and empowerment, as we'll talk about later. Can, Can we do that? Aren't we supposed to do that for one another as church? Isn't that part of what church is supposed to be? Remember years ago, I was at the Jeff Street Mission Chapel in uh in uh, downtown inner city Louisville. I was there to actually do, we were in a little brass group and we, we did some music and it was for an Ash Wednesday evening service, interestingly enough. We got Ash Wednesday coming up soon. And I remember we did one of those things that sometimes you do at an Ash Wednesday service where you write down some sin or struggle that you have and you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? There's a wooden cross up here and what would you do? Anybody been a part of this service? You write down your struggle, you fold it up and you do what? Come up and what? pin it to the cross. Have any of y'all been in a, in, a, in a worship setting like that? Okay, a lot of you. And uh, so we did that. We walked forward and everything. Well, there was a guy that walked in a little bit late to the mission chapel there, and it was a guy uh, that they call Homeless Ray. And Ray's a wonderful guy, very committed to that church, attended whenever he could, was homeless frequently, spent some time in shelters and this kind of thing, but loved that church. He got there a little bit late, and uh, because of that, there were no more pencils to go around, and so he saw what people were doing, and he got enough instruction, so he found a black magic marker, big, thick magic marker, and just wrote one word and went up there and stuck it on there, but it was, it was not folded up, and it was the word drunk, and he went back and sat down, and after the service, I kind of sidled up because I wanted to see what this guy was talking about. You ever been in one of those situations where you're acting like you're, you're with somebody else, but you're kind of listening to You ever eavesdropped on people? You don't ever do. Yeah, you do. But uh, I wanted to see what was going on. Because this guy, who obviously didn't know Ray very well, went over to him and said, uh, Ray? And he kind of was judging him. He said, Ray, why did you put that up there? Are, are, are you drunk right now? And Ray said, no. 
said, I am a drunk. That's my biggest struggle. That's my biggest sin where I need healing and everything. He said, why do you ask me? And he said, well, I was just wondering. I said, you just kind of did that a little differently than the rest of us. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, you kind of did it wrong. I said, what did I do wrong? He said, well, well, the way you, you pinned that uh, up there, you know, on the cross. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, uh, you know, ordinarily we, we fold it before we put it up there. And Ray said, why? And the other guy said, so, so nobody will see it. I'll never forget Ray said, how are people going to help you if you can't see it? Well put, Ray. How are people going to be there for you if they can't see it? You know, but what if we did that here this morning? We're not going to, but what if we had a, had a big wooden cross and we could take a big, thick magic marker and write down one or two struggles that you and I struggle with, maybe one that's very dark and secret or one that's a source of shame or disappointment or frustration, whatever it might be. You know, would we be able to do that and put those all up there? Or even if you were just in a small group, like we're going to have probably more small groups coming along very soon, which I'm excited about, could you get to a point of, of sharing that? by by which you could become more healed and, and empowered. Would you be willing to be transparent like that, or would you rather hide? What did, what did Adam and Eve do? Adam and Eve are caught in sin. Or they're not caught yet. They realize they have sinned. And what does it say? It says that God went looking, looking for them, quotation marks. And, and it's interesting. Let me, let me go back from the passage that was read earlier. Notice that they are in the garden. I mean, the sin happened in the garden, but what was the garden like? Keep in mind, the garden was a place of, my goodness, sanctuary and, and, and harmony and oasis. It's the word that Jesus used later on uh, for, for paradise. The, the garden, you will be with me in the garden. You will be with me in paradise. It's a place of, of, of acceptance and fullness of love. No judgment or anything like that. Wouldn't have been great if they had realized that it was a place of oasis and sanctuary. I've always wondered, what if Adam and Eve had said, oh, we've messed up, let's go seek out God. You know, in the story, God has to seek them out. But what if, what if they had sought out God and confessed and repented? I just wonder sometimes, maybe things had, would have been better. Maybe the Bible would be a much thinner book. Just think about that. But anyway, notice this, though. God, it, it says that God was in the garden and he was looking for them. And he said, where are you? Now, is God really walking around like, hey, guys, where are you? No, he knows where the, he is. Even then, he was omni. He was omniscient. But he was looking for them. Why? He wanted to hear them answer to him. And what was the question? Where are you? <laughs> what do you have to say about this mess that you've made? Where are you with things? Well, where are they? They're hiding what do they say? I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. They hid physically, but also spiritually, no doubt. Why? Well, but probably because of fear and probably some pride and some wanting to be in control of things. Power, really. Sound familiar? That's us. And even after they're discovered, it's funny, they continue to hide because they start blaming each other. It was your fault, no, it was your fault. I mean, they're still just trying to divert and distract and deny. If God were to ask you this morning, where are you? Or if a friend were to ask you, where are you? How transparent could you be about whatever struggle it is you're facing? Because we all face them. How honest you can be. To me, it was sad that Adam and Eve were in such a place of oasis and sanctuary, and yet they couldn't 
be that way with one another. And I thought, gosh, isn't that the way the church is supposed to be like the garden was? A place of sanctuary and oasis for us that we can be real with one another. Whether it's within these walls or wherever church happens out there in the world. We're not called to just go to church, obviously, but to be church for one another wherever. Can we remember, there was a song we sang this morning about running to you, right? Running to Jesus. Again, I've said this before, but sinners in the biblical record always ran to Jesus, not away from him. They never retreated from him. And yet, I wonder how honestly we can be with one another about our own lives. We can talk about what is it, real people, real life, real love. But are we willing to really live that out with one another? I mentioned centrifuge earlier on. I remember... I was a centrifuge camp pastor or director for a bunch of summers, usually at Ridgecrest Conference Center there in North Carolina, kind of the Baptist mecca over there. And every week, and we'd have hundreds of youth and a whole lot of adult counselors, but let me tell you, every week I would have at least one adult counselor come to me and confess something very personal, very intimate. Here I am like a 23, 24-year-old guy, and these people come along talking about all kinds of stuff, marital strife financial instability in their lives, all kinds of stressors. Some people who were abused in, you know, when they were young and they've never told anybody. And, and it kind of caught me off guard at first, but I mean, I had to you know, have my shock absorbers on and be ready for that every week. But inevitably, I would ask them, have you talked to somebody back home about this? Have you talked to somebody at your church about this? And every time it was, what, back at my church? No, never. And I would say, well, well why not? Well, those are the people in my church and i'm like yeah why don't you you know is there somebody you could talk to why why can't you same reasons we talked about earlier with adam and eve well pride issue or fear or or image i remember thinking that was so sad And, and then then i would inevitably say why are you telling me and it was always interesting they would say well we're just here for a week and you and i don't know each other very well and chances are we'll never see each other again so this is a good time to do it and some of them would actually say, and, and you know, this is a retreat. It's good to say these things like at a retreat. And I thought, retreat, retreat. You know, I thought, well, is this really a step forward? Or in some ways, is this an act, you know, of retreat? And, and I think about that. You know, can, can Brookwood be a place where we don't retreat from one another, but we can fully feel like we can approach one another honestly with our, with our struggles and, and our doubts and our uncertainties and our confusion and our pain and all that? Can we do that? Can we approach one another in that fashion, and even confess them openly that we might have honest community. Again, James 5, 16, which we meditated upon earlier. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I think one of the main reasons we don't want to share our brokenness with one another is that we want to be in power. But what's interesting is we're really not in power. You know, it's, it's more empowering to actually confess it. I quoted Anne Lamott the other week, and I want to quote one thing uh, that I had She said, if I were going to begin practicing the presence of God for the first time today, it would help to begin by admitting the three most terrible truths of our existence, that we are so ruined, so loved, and in charge of so little. Maybe we think we're in power over over this thing that we don't want to share and don't want to confess with someone else. But but really the irony is we're really not. It's more empowering to, to share it with one another. And please hear me if nothing else. I'm not saying that we do that in order to have an Oprah moment. Um, I'm not saying it so we can end with kumbaya. If it happens, fine. But that's really not what we're about. 
as we confess to one another, we are healed and we are healed toward a stronger relationship with Jesus. It's all moving toward him and that's why we do it. When we confess to him, we move ourselves closer to him. And when we do it to one another, we can be closer to him through one another. There's a wonderful quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer that kind of speaks to this and the power of really confessing to one another in Jesus' name. Can we put that up? Bonhoeffer, in his wonderful book, Life Together, I know some of you are reading it right now, he says, God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother, in the mouth of a man, or woman, obviously. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. And that also clarifies the goal of all Christian community. They meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. There's something powerful when we bring our confessions to one another. There's a tribe in New Guinea called the Kuwaru tribe, and they're an interesting group of people, interesting group of warriors. Before they ever go into battle, and they've done this in history for many, many years, before they go into battle, all the men go off into the jungle and they roast a pig. Well, there you go. But in addition to that, they have a wonderful feast. But in addition to that, what do they spend most of the night doing? They spend the rest of the evening confessing to one another. (laughs) Confessing their their sins to each other. Confessing their fears to each other. Confessing uh, their doubts to one another. Their jealousy, their anger to one another. It's a bunch of men confessing to each other all night long. Now these are not believers. These are warriors. And, 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 And if you study it, they believe that's the most manly thing a man can do. Why? Because as you confess those things you neutralize them and it empowers you for battle they think if you keep these pent-up things unconfessed it it renders you less powerful for battle and i remember reading about them and i thought gosh doesn't that sort of reflect upon the tribe of christ as we go out and do battle against the evils of the world would it not empower us all the more to confess one another to be all the more ready and prepared to get out there and do what we've got to do to reach others for christ you know are, are we willing to be that real and honest and transparent with one another? Are we willing to do it because we realize that, that through that, God changes us to change others? It's not, it's not for us. It's that we can reach more people out there by being more authentic followers of Christ and being very open about our own brokenness, but redeemed by our brokenness by Jesus Christ. That's why we're doing this, not to feel better. If it makes us feel better, great. If that's a byproduct, great. We're doing it that we might be better warriors out there in this world that's on fire. How willing are we to do that? And how willing are we to be that open about it? Close with a story about the Great Awakening in the 1740s. Jonathan Edwards, that great theologian and preacher, really helped, helped usher that in. And the Spirit of God moved in an amazing way in our nation. And there was one night that he was in a prayer meeting with 800 men. And they were doing something manly. They were confessing sins to one another, just like that tribe did. And, and they were doing that. Well, a woman uh, snuck a note into that meeting, and it got to Jonathan Edwards. And it basically said, please pray for my husband. Please pray for our marriage. And she said, and I quote, he has become unloving, prideful, and difficult. Unloving, prideful, and difficult. And Edwards read the the. the Uh, message in private thinking that you know maybe he should be discreet with it but then he made a bold move he said you know what all these villages are around here i bet this man uh that she's described is in here and and maybe we could all if we just have him stand forward in front of everyone just like the man with the shriveled hand if he would just stand up in front of everyone and confess that all the rest of us 799 people can pray over him 
that that marriage would be healed. And so he stood up and announced, he said, I have this note, and there's a husband in here who's been unloving, prideful, and difficult. If that person would just dare to stand and and be recognized, the rest of us want to be your brothers and pray for you. At that moment, 300 men stood up and raised their hands. (laughs) It's a great story, but what's all the more amazing is all 300 of those men were prayed over, prayed for, and no doubt scores, hopefully hundreds of marriages were rescued, improved, as well as these men who were struggling. I want us to enter into a time of a meditation and enter into the discipline of meditation. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. I want you to do this and be very honest, and this is just between you and God. I want you to think about what is the darkest part of you right now, and it might be the most secretive part of you. What is that source of of guilt and shame that you struggle with right now? What is that past or present behavior, that past or present habit, something that you said or did that you so regret, please keep in mind, as, as you dare to get close to that part of your darkness somewhere in the corner of your soul, remember that, that that is what Jesus died for. Jesus died for that part of you, out of his unconditional love for you. And the question is, are you willing to celebrate that? And open yourself up to his grace. This part of you that he died for. Indeed, all of you he died for. So how willing are you and I to open ourselves up to his grace and to one another? Now that's very scary and vulnerable, yes. Are we going to be like Adam and Eve and go and hide? Or will we dare to stand among a group or maybe one person? and share something, perhaps confess something that we've needed to confess for a long time, that we might be all the more real with one another and with our God. And through that, as more changed people, help change others. Lord, help us to stop faking it. Help us to stop being so artificial. Challenge us to proclaim our brokenness, because out of that we help others Become whole as you have helped make us whole in spite of our brokenness. Help us to be the witnesses you have called us to be. We pray these things in your name. Amen.